Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Genesis chapter 9, verse 4. There was a belief that blood constituted life essence in the ancient world. In fact, some military conquerors would kill their victims and drink their blood. In the ancient world, the cults, the pagan cults took on this practice, and they felt like if they ingested blood of a victim, they were taking on additional uh, life force for them. This still, by the way, appears in some weird cults and the occult where people do participate in drinking blood. And they think somehow that that's going to enhance their life. Now, we do know that in, if someone's sick, sometimes there's a blood transfusion. I will say this to our Jehovah's Witnesses friends who have withheld blood transfusions on the basis of biblical texts misinterpreted. That's not what God is saying. A life-giving transfusion is not the same as drinking blood in some ritual thing where you think it's going to give you more power. That's not the same thing. So to withhold a blood transfusion from someone who needs it desperately is a confusion of the Bible. That's not what the Bible teaches. We should do everything we can to help someone uh, stay alive or heal. But Leviticus 17.13 and Deuteronomy 12.24, you might want to write this down for your notes. Leviticus 17.13 and Deuteronomy 12.24 form the basis of the Jewish dietary laws. Ritually speaking, says one author, the draining of the blood before eating the meat was a way of returning the life force of the animal to God who gave it life. Life is in the blood. And disregard for life is an affront to the life giver. The divine prohibition against eating blood also prepared humanity to appreciate the use of blood in sacrifice. Because belonging to God, it can be seen as his atoning gift to sinners, not theirs to him. And it prepares us for the Messiah, whose blood cleanses us from what? All sin. Without the shedding of blood, Hebrews 9 says, there is no forgiveness of sins. And some people look at the Bible and they wonder, what's the stuff about blood and what's the sacrificial system? It seems like almost, to be blunt, a bloody mess. You look at the holidays and the Passover and there's blood, blood everywhere. What's going on? Because God says that life is so serious and so sacred that blood must be shed to atone for sins. Hebrews 10 says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, but Jesus Christ came and shed his holy blood and sprinkled us from a defiled conscience and washed us clean by his blood, so that by his one sacrifice for all time, your sins are not only covered, they're washed away in Christ. It's his life for yours. That's what the atonement means. Jesus Christ died so you might live. He shed his blood. His life was given for you. And he says at the Passover meal, this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Um, 
we think about the Bible and we think about the story of Cain and Abel, the first mention of the spilling of blood is there. And God says to Cain, I hear the voice of your brother's blood crying to me from the ground. God takes it seriously when blood is shed. And it was hard to look at, but if you saw some of those pictures in Paris and you saw blood on the ground of victims... There will be an accounting for blood that is shed. In fact, the book of Ezekiel says a land that sheds innocent blood is polluted by that blood. I know it's hard to take, folks, but this is what the Bible teaches. There must be a cleansing. That's part of the reason the flood came is because the world was filled with violence. People were killing each other indiscriminately, thinking that life had no value. And you know a culture is in trouble when it loses the sacredness of life. We believe that life, the sanctity of life, that has the the idea of sacredness, starts from conception to natural death. That's in our mission statement. That is what we believe because that's what the Bible teaches. And so, life is in the blood. Leviticus 17, 10 and 11, write it down for your notes, says, any man from the house of Israel or from the aliens who sojourn among them, Leviticus 17, 10 and 11. Who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. And so Jesus Christ poured out his life so that you might have life. He let his life drain away, if you will, that we might experience new life in Christ. Verse 5, Genesis 9 says, Surely I will require, this is a judicial term, I will demand an accounting NIV, your lifeblood from every, every beast, I will require it from every man, from every man's brother. I will require the life, require the life of man. An accounting for the life of his fellow man. Here's the bottom line. God says, if an animal kills a man or a man kills a man, their blood will be shed. I want to make a distinction here because this is where the Bible is going. The Bible makes a distinction between killing and murder. Killing happens in wars and sometimes God ordained the killing of certain people groups. Killing happens in capital punishment. And the next verse is going to tell us that capital punishment is a divine sanction by God, which I don't believe has ended. But that word has the idea of an intentional, premeditated murder, not of someone who did something on accident. In fact, in the Old Testament, if you accidentally killed somebody, there were cities of refuge that were set up. And you could go to that city of refuge and find refuge in that city and the manslayer or the avenger of blood who was usually a relative in that family of the person that you killed could not kill you in that city of refuge. And what's interesting is you could leave that city, if you left that city of refuge and you got killed, it was on you, but you could leave that city of refuge at the death of the high priest Whoever the high priest was at the time, the moment he died, you were able to leave that city of refuge and the man, the avenger of blood, could not kill you. You were free at the death of the high priest. And all through the book of Hebrews, this is what the Bible teaches, that when the high priest Jesus died, we have fled for refuge to him. 
God is no longer counting our sins against us because they are atoned for in the blood of Jesus as long as you have ran, run to Him for refuge. Then you're not going to be exposed to God's judgment. That's the beauty of the gospel. And I'll tell you this, as we go through this text, there's some tough things here, but I'll tell you, this man speaking to you right now, I have made a ton of mistakes. I have sinned against God. And if it weren't for the atoning blood of Jesus Christ, I'd be in deep trouble. But I fled for refuge to him. I fled to find covering and cleansing in his blood. But God says this is the principle Exodus 21, 28 says, And if an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall surely be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall go unpunished. But if the ox was in the habit of goring people and the owner doesn't tie up his ox and the ox gores several people, and this is a pattern, the ox dies and the owner of the ox is killed as well. How do you like that? So tie up your dog. That's all I'm saying. Anyway. It says whoever, Genesis 9, 6, sheds man's blood. By man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. Here's the argument. Here's the argument for capital punishment. It's a hard truth, but look at it. The reason that man will have his blood shed for murdering someone is because mankind is made... In the image of God. In the image of God, he made man. Capital punishment is not diminishing life, it is elevating life. The reason that capital punishment exists is because God values the life of man above animals and everything else. The one creature made in God's image is us, mankind. So God says if someone murders a person, capital punishment is what should occur. Now people say... However, the judicial system is not always trustworthy. What about the mistakes? What about someone wrongfully charged? Certainly those things exist. Now, they, they've been somewhat diminished by DNA evidence and, and the system has gotten better. But I'm sure that at some point somebody may have been executed wrongly. It's quite possible. But one thing you do in logic, folks, and I just want to teach you just a, a, a bit of logic for a second is you never argue from the exception. Never. You don't say, well, this could happen, so therefore we'll, we'll disobey God's command because of the exception. You never argue from the exception. You argue from the law. We abhor exceptions. We, we never want someone to be wrongly uh, killed or executed. Certainly not. We should do everything that we can in the judicial system to guard against that but it doesn't change the fact that this is a divine sanction. This is what God has said. In fact, I would argue that the idea of capital punishment keeps people from doing dumb things. It's one thing if you know you're going to be in a cell. It's another thing if you know that they'll kill you if you kill somebody else. It does preclude some crime. And it is because man is made in God's image that the death penalty exists. Romans 13.4 carries this idea. It says, it, the government, Romans 13.4, is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. It, government, is a minister of God 
an avenger, the same as an avenger of blood in the Old Testament, who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. If we did not have these laws, it would be anarchy, you guys. And we've got it right now. The world's falling apart around us, largely because we're losing our way with absolute truth. Ravi Zacharias was preaching this morning. He said he and his wife had a chance to go into the hall of justice uh, that was, where the Nuremberg trials were held. There they put the Nazi war criminals on trial for the dastardly things that they had done to mankind. Not only six million Jews, but Christians and others were killed in the Nazi death camps. And he said it was interesting to walk into the hall of justice because there were two things there that grabbed his eye. One was the Ten Commandments, and one was the picture of the fall of Adam and Eve and the temptation in the garden. Man is always tempted to do wrong, but the Ten Commandments stand forever. You shall not murder. And the Nazis who were on trial said, we were just following the laws of our land. We were just following Nazi law. Who says it was wrong? And the Ten Commandments being in that hall of justice said, there's a higher law than Nazi law. And I don't care what laws come down the pike of any society, man can do what he wants to shake his fist at God. He can claim that there was just a law of the land. But I'll tell you what, on the day of judgment, thou shall not murder will stand. And that's why we run to refuge to Jesus Christ. We are not to be life, uh, Noah and his sons are not to be life takers, but life producers to multiply. And as for you, look at verse 7, be fruitful and multiply, populate the earth abundantly, multiply in it. Then God spoke to Noah and his sons with him saying, now behold, here's the second idea in the text. Here's the covenant. Now behold, I myself do establish my covenant. It's God doing it. My covenant with you with your descendants after you. This follows in the generations to come. The word covenant is barit. It means to cut. It's a compact. It literally means the son of the cross or the cross of my son. It points to Jesus, the covenant. God's making it with, verse 10, every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, every beast of the earth with you, all that comes out of the ark, even every beast of the earth. And I establish my covenant with you and all flesh shall uh, never again be cut off by the waters of the flood. Neither shall there again be a flood to destroy the earth. I just want to comment here. If the flood was a localized flood, then God lied. Because there have been floods since the time of Noah and some life has been lost in floods since the time of Noah. But there's never been a worldwide universal flood. This verse would have no meaning unless the flood was universal, unless it truly did cover all the mountain peaks of the world. And God says, that's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to destroy the world again with the flood, and I'm making a compact. I'm making a covenant. It's going to be a sign to you. It's with you and with all the animals. How do animals respond to a covenant? Okay. I mean, how does an animal that was a little attempt at Scooby-Doo there. Anyway, I mean, we do know uh, in some places where uh, covenants were made, for example, Jonah goes through Nineveh 
And he says, 40 days, and Nineveh will be destroyed. And from the king and even to the animals had sackcloth on. I don't know that they were, they knew what was going on. Sorry, God. <laughs> I don't know, but, but there was repentance from the top down, including animals. And God includes animals now because animals were destroyed in the flood. And here's the point. Uh, many say that what God's covenant in verses 1 through 17 are, are a response to Noah's offering. But I'm not sure that it is. I don't, I don't know that if Noah would have done something different with an offering, God still wouldn't have made the covenant. My point is this. The covenant's from God. It's his covenant. It's his promise. He's not going to destroy the world again with a flood. Wouldn't you be thinking about that the next time it rained if you were Noah and his sons? You're hanging out in your tent. <laughs> it starts to rain a little. Uh-oh. Is it going to stop? Are the fountains of the deep going to be opened up again? Are the floodgates going to open from heaven? I escaped the first one, but I'm, am I going to escape this one? Every time it rained, they had to be thinking about that. But God did what? He put the rainbow in the sky, which has been robbed from its original meeting. How many people look at a rainbow in the sky today and think of God's covenant? But that's what it's for. That's what it's for. God said, this is, verse 12, the sign of the covenant which I'm making between me and you and every living creature that is with you, notice, for all successive or perpetual generations. This goes on and on. I set my bow, the Hebrew word is cassette. You could spell it Q-E-S-E-T. I set my bow in the cloud and it shall be for a sign of a covenant between me and and the earth. This is the sign, it's a bow. Cassette in Hebrew can mean a bow like a bow and arrow, or it can mean a rainbow. It's the same Hebrew word. Which way do we take this? Some scholars say it's some sort of bow in the sky, but what would a bow in the sky mean? A bow is, is for fighting and destruction. The rainbow is a sign of what? Peace. Could it mean that Jesus Christ conquered sin and death and that's the image of the bow and somehow we're to see the bow even in the multicolored rainbow? We see it half when we're looking at it from the earth. Is that possible? It certainly could be. But this is the sign. It's, it's the oat. It's, the, it's that which ties to uh, words that I've given you in the past that have to do with the covenant that God lays out, a promise that he makes it's the sign of the covenant, and it is, in my view, the rainbow. The rainbow appears over and over and over again. It's the multicolored reality of God's goodness and grace. In fact, if you look at a rainbow from up above in a helicopter or plane, it's not a half circle, it's a full circle. Would you guys put up the photo? This is a photo, if we've got it, from the NASA website. It was taken... Uh, from a helicopter flying over Australia. And what they tell us is that when we see a rainbow from down on the planet, we see it as a half circle. But every rainbow from up above is actually a full circle. And in the scriptures, the rainbow is always tied to the throne of God and the glory of God. It's seen in Ezekiel 1. You might want to write this down. Ezekiel 1, Revelation 4, and Revelation 10 all incorporate a rainbow with the glory of God and even tie it to the judgment of God. 
But the rainbow is a sign. It's a covenant that God makes to all future generations so that every time we look, we are reminded. Was this the first rainbow ever seen? Perhaps it was. Henry Morris comments. He says, Before the flood, the upper air contained only an invisible water canopy or water vapor. Therefore, no rainbow was possible. With the new hydrological cycle following the flood, the former vapor canopy is gone. And it is physically impossible now for enough water ever to be raised into the atmosphere to cause a universal flood. When a storm has done its worst and the clouds are finally exhausted of most of their water, then there always appears a rainbow. And so God would have us remember again his promise after the great flood. The rainbow is the assurance that despite clouds in the sky and rain, there will never again be a universal flood. It is between God and the world, between God and us. And when you go through your storms in life, you can't have a rainbow without a storm. And you can't see the multifaceted, multicolored grace of God without first going through a storm. We don't like the storms. I don't like the storms. But the rainbow appears. And it is God saying, from eternity to, to eternity, think of the circle. Uh, it, it has the idea of the beginning and the end. The word sign, oat, the beginning and the end. The leader nailed to the cross. I've shown you that in the past with the Hebrew word oat for sign. And the rainbow ties beautifully with it. From everlasting to everlasting, God is true to his promises. The world will not be destroyed again with water, but you all know the world is going to experience the fire of judgment. And it shall come about, look at 14, when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. God reminds us that it's a phenomenon that's from him. People say, well, a rainbow is just a natural phenomenon. You Christians pouring that meaning into it is wrong. Uh, all natural phenomenons from God. Either way, you go back to God. Natural phenomenon, if you believe that God made everything, is from God. Thus the rain... It's just water molecules with sun shining through it. Yeah. Who made the water molecules in the sun? God. Hello. Anyway. 15. <laughs> and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and never again shall water become a flood to destroy all flesh. And I'm sure every time it rained, <laughs> Noah... Ham, Shem, Japheth, look for the rainbow. Is it there? <laughs> okay, Whew. cool, cool. When the bow is in the cloud 16, then I will look upon it and remember the everlasting covenant between God. God says, I'm going to look upon it. It's for me and for you and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth 17. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. When I look upon the blood, when God was going to pass over Egypt, he said, put the blood on the doorpost and lentil, and when I see the blood, I will pass over. Did God know where, which Jewish house was which? All the Jews were living in Goshen. He knew where the Jews were. 
But he said, when I see the blood, and we need to know that the rainbow ultimately takes its fulfillment in the cross of Jesus Christ. And when God looks at you, if he sees you through the blood, through the cross, you are saved. And never again will judgment come into your life. This is the everlasting promise of Almighty God. Now we've got the sections break down with capital punishment, the covenant, encircling both these sections and now we're going to look at Noah's fall remember Noah is a second type of Adam we're coming to a close we'll deal with this quickly but uh, Adam had a fall it involved forbidden fruit Noah had a fall it involved fruit well from what I understand today on the way home as we were getting in our commuter van that one of the guys had read the news on the way home and that um, someone in central California uh, shouted um, some Islamic terms and started shooting people. So um, this is becoming now uh, a regular occurrence. We had on uh, Palm Sunday, we had some suicide bombers go in and blow up um, two churches in Egypt. Forty Christians perished. We've had uh, Christians who are being crucified in the Middle East, literally crucified, and yet Oscar, there is a move of God in the Middle East, and, and people are coming in big numbers to Jesus Christ, having dreams about Christ, seeing the uh, love of Christians, even in the midst of persecution, and coming to faith in Christ. God can use this, but but there is a sober warning uh, that surrounds our days. And, you know, we could talk about a lot of stuff going on in the Middle East, and Russia, and Israel, and, you know, Syria, and so forth. But right now, looking at you know, Noah getting off the ark and looking at this early proclamation in Genesis 9-6 where, you know, we have the idea of capital punishment here and it, and it is this, whoever sheds man's blood, Genesis 9-6, by man, his blood shall be shed. And the appeal is made for in the image of God, he, God, made man. The reason that um, there would be a vengeance for someone uh, perpetrating a crime like murder and someone might say, well, then are you murdering somebody by doing capital punishment? No, because capital punishment is not murder. It would be a killing, just like in a just war, just like, um, you know, if somebody uh, was a mass murderer and they get the death sentence, that's not murder. To kill them, you know, would really be justice. Now, I know this is a debated subject and it gets a lot of people upset, but in the end, very early in our Bible, we see that the reason that capital punishment would be considered biblical is because there's an appeal made to man being made in the image of God in the Imago Dei. Man's life has great value. And when you shed the, the blood of the innocent, if I can put it that way, what happens is vengeance is required. And so this goes now, this moves not only into the cycle of violence that we see in our world, which was happening back in the days of Noah, but even you brought up before we started recording the terrible blight of abortion all around the world. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.